0: Welcome back everyone to another episode, episode number 14 of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I am your host, Maverick Levy, And you may all get annoyed that I start off each episode telling you to check out the social medias, telling you to check out the websites. But there's a reason I want you to do that, and it's because there's so much more there that you can interact with. You can listen to the podcast, but when you go to the social medias, you can see the face of the guests that I'm interviewing. When you go to the website, you can see the emails or the contact information on how to actually reach out to the guests. So the app for the social medias is Pod. The website is tbotbpod.com. And I also just want to thank everyone for the unreal support you've shown. Episode number 13 with rapper Payroll Giovanni was a show that was special to me because I was sort of fanboying over him, but the support I've got from the Detroit area overall has been tremendous and amazing. So I just want to thank you all for that support because it really helps me make the show a better one. And as always, please don't forget that the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now, this episode is much different than others because... The other episodes, we focused on business, whether the person was a personal trainer, whether they were a rapper, no matter who they were, we really focused on the business aspect of those fields. And this episode is going to be a little bit different because I believe, and this is my personal belief, that once you want to obtain success in your life and to get to that level, you need to be in a good state with your mental health. You need to be focused on yourself. You need to be doing things for yourself, talking to people if that's what you need to do. So on today's show, I have Johnny Crowder, who's the founder and CEO of Cope Notes. He's also a TEDx speaker, and this is coming from his LinkedIn. He's a huge mental health advocate. So welcome, Johnny, to the best of the best podcast. Thank you for having me. It's going to be hard to follow a rapper.
1: I will do my best.
0: Trust me, this is more important, like I talked to you about before we started recording is I personally believe that this is one of the most important topics we've had on the show so far. And, you know... Everyone, I want you to know that usually we start to solve with some background questions about the guest, where they grew up, things like that. But I want this one to be a little bit different, right? Because he's a mental health advocate, but he's also a entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur. And I want you all to take away how important mental health is in order to achieve success, no matter how you measure it, whether it's mental, physical, or in terms of money, you need to be in the right space mentally. So like I told you, Johnny, usually I start off with some background questions, but for the initial few minutes of the first part of this show, I really just want you to give your background story and basically tell us you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, and how you got to be the person that you are today. So the floor is yours
1: well this is always the most difficult question in any interview is like who are you (laughs) um
0: absolutely my
1: my background was really rocky i mean even now looking back i'm still learning this year how many things in my life set me up for future success that i experienced as failures in the moment Um, so it's still something i'm learning but the short version is i grew up in tampa florida in an abusive household. So out the gate, you learn that um, screaming and punching holes in walls and physical violence is kind of the way that you express yourself. So I incorrectly learned that I deserved to feel pain and that I was worthless. So that led to disordered eating and self-harm tendencies. I made multiple attempts on my own life. I'm very fortunate to be alive. I always say I'm glad that I suck at killing myself. So I'm very happy to still be here. And really, all throughout my childhood, my social interactions with other people were tanked by my mental health conditions. I wasn't diagnosed until high school. Um, Schizophrenia, bipolar, PTSD, OCD, like a huge long list of diagnoses. But those were affecting me. Like I was hallucinating in elementary school. So And I was self-harming in preschool, like before I even made it to elementary school. So my whole life has been affected by mental health. And I've seen both sides, right? Like I've been on the side of uh, neglecting your mental health, um, not wanting to listen to doctors, uh, being in complete denial. And then now I'm on the other side, but it it wasn't because I decided to wake up and be noble. I just, uh, I was actually, uh, because of a particularly violent behavioral outburst, I was forced to attend mandatory counseling in high school when I was uh, diagnosed with the conditions that I mentioned. And I started treatment in high school and I went to school for psychology because I wanted to figure out what the heck was happening. And I also secretly wanted to prove my therapist wrong. I wanted to be like, no, here's actually what schizophrenia is and you're wrong. And ultimately... And what age was this? I was diagnosed uh, when I was like 14 or so. And then... I started taking psychology courses when I was 15. So I was taking college level psychology in high school. That's how badly I wanted to prove my therapist wrong. I was like, screw it, I am on a vendetta And then I went to...
0: And obviously, sorry to interrupt, obviously you grew up, like you said, with this horrible household abuse. And at what age did you really start to talk to someone? Obviously, you said you got diagnosed at 14, but were you talking to school counselors at a young age? Or how at 14 did it just come about where, hey, now I'm diagnosed with this?
1: I resisted all outside help. I would not listen. I was such a brat punk kid. Like, no one could tell me anything about me. Like, I just refused to listen to other people. And I actually took pride in my negative attitude. It's sad looking back. Like, I was thinking that being negative was, like, I'm just being real. I'm just telling it how it is. And it's like, no, you're being really toxic and pessimistic. Yeah. And I, it wasn't until I had to start attending mandatory counseling, and I had no choice. Like, I had to go. And even in college, I had to do mandatory counseling again to stay enrolled, um, because of my behavior issues. So it's not like I woke up and said, I'm going to take my life back and do therapy. And no, it was like they dragged me kicking and screaming into treatment. And I, I tried to run away, literally.
0: Wow. And so now we're at like your 14 to 15 year old age range, where you were trying to study to prove your therapist wrong, that None of these things were actually true that they were diagnosing you with, that this was sort of a facade that they were trying to put in on you in your eyes. And so after that, now we're at the age of about fifteen, was this a transitioning point in your life where you're like, okay, something is wrong? Or when was that actually point where like I need to get my life back on track? And maybe this therapist is right in what she's saying. <laughs> it took
1: way long like, even if I could admit these little moments where you know, I saw a few therapists and didn't like any of them, but I eventually found one, uh, maybe when I was 15, that was like really good. And she was helping me with my OCD only. So we weren't working on schizophrenia. We weren't working on um, any of the PTSD stuff. We we're just focusing on OCD. And there were a few things that she helped me with through exposure therapy that I actually made progress with. And so... Even after I experienced success in therapy, I was still a non-believer in therapy because of my attitude, my self-stigma. So it's not like I started experiencing a little progress and then believed in therapy. It's like I spent years well into college and post-college where I had such a personal vendetta against my own diagnoses that I couldn't see what was right in front of my eyes.
0: Gotcha. And so it wasn't just like a one day you woke up and things were changed. It was a transitional progress period, where it took years and years and years for you to get to the place where you are today. So Fast forward through college and high school where you were still struggling with all of these things. At what age did you say, like, I actually want to help people that went through this? I want to, you obviously created Cope Notes, which we'll get into a little later and you can describe what that is. But when did you first realize that I actually want to help people become a better version of themselves if they are struggling with whatever it may be?
1: Well, the first inkling of that was when I went to college for psychology and I figured I would become a clinician because I thought that was the only way you could help people. But then I, even then I realized that I had compassion for other people who were experiencing pain, but I had no compassion for myself whatsoever. And I think when that changed was probably in college when I linked up with NAMI or the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I used to actually teach and perform improv comedy at UCF. And we threw a benefit comedy show for a local comedian that had died by suicide. And the money from the fundraiser went to NAMI. And that was the first time I'd heard of them. When I found out that they did like public advocacy and peer support, I was like, wait a second, you're telling me that as someone who lives with these debilitating diagnoses that I can go speak at schools and prisons and conferences and help people change the way they think about mental health. And I don't need a doctorate. I don't need any sort of credentials. And I just started volunteering with them constantly. And I think that's what changed was I something flipped in my head where I realized I don't need some sort of credential or validation from an educational institution to give me the green light to start making a difference in the lives of other people.
0: Got it. So now let's go into Cope Notes a little bit, because I think that's a good transitioning point. So what year... Did you sort of think of the idea of, hey, I want to create this platform to help people? Um, What year was that?
1: Well, I ran a version. So Cope Notes, as people know it today, launched in March of 2018. But before that, I ran uh, something called Not A Therapist for about a year. And it doesn't exist anymore. I'd be shocked if you could find anything online about it because I completely wiped it all out when I made Cope Notes. But that was a digital peer support tool It just wasn't scalable. Like, so that was my first try. I used to run in-person support groups for years. And then I did my first digital try in like 2016, 2017. And then early 2018, I had to, Cope Notes was the newest and best version because it could actually, it wouldn't break if you put 60 people on the platform.
0: Got it. That makes sense. So now can you tell the listeners what Cope Notes actually is?
1: Cope Notes is your brain's best friend. I like that. In a sentence, we use daily text messages to help people improve their mental and emotional health. So that's that's people, whether they're living with a diagnosis or not.
0: So the way it would work is I go online and I sign up for Cope Notes and I'm going to receive daily positive text messages.
1: Yes. Although a lot of people think like, you know, do you just text people like smile or buck up, kiddo? And it's like, no, these are... Randomly timed text messages that are written by peers with lived experience and reviewed by mental health professionals to, they're designed to interrupt negative thought patterns and train your brain to start thinking in healthier thought patterns. So... Picture it like guerrilla warfare on your toxic mental habits.
0: And as a person that subscribed to these messages to try and help myself become the better version of me, can I respond to them? Is that something that the platform has the ability to do? Yeah.
1: So one of my favorite parts of Cope Notes is that it serves as a digital journal. So it's not like a crisis text line where we are, you know, walking people through like we're crisis counselors in real time, helping people talk them off the ledge. This is, dude, 99% of the time people are not in crisis and they still need support. So we we let the crisis text line do their thing and we are for the 99% of the time where you are not in crisis, but you still need that support. And the way it works is, you know how a physical journal, like you write whatever you want and it doesn't read what you say, it doesn't judge you, it doesn't interrupt you, it doesn't publish or share what you say there. And over time, every therapist in the world will tell you to journal because it improves your emotional independence, your emotional IQ, and the accuracy of your self-report, which basically means how accurate are you when describing what you think and how you feel? Most people have lied so much to themselves and other people about what they think and how they feel that they can't actually identify what it is that they're experiencing So people can text whatever they want, whenever they want in the Cope Notes text thread. And because it's anonymous, it's like a digital journal that you carry around with you wherever you go.
0: That's truly amazing, bro. That's really cool stuff. Because I know we talked about before, you know, I have some personal things in my life where people need help with their mental state of wellness. And it's cool that this is a platform to do so on. So I hope that we can either touch a million people or even just one person with this episode and sort of change their life. And I think this is a good transitioning point to start off asking you some questions about mental health and things like that. Sure. So, what is the first step someone should take that if they are struggling? And they want to get back on track in terms of their mental health. What is that first step that you would recommend them to take?
1: You know, as someone who has failed pretty much every step so far, several times uh, to get where I am, I think what I would recommend is, you know, I would argue that if you recognize that you are struggling with your mental health, you're already like four or five steps in. Like that takes so much mental acuity to actually identify like, wow, I'm struggling with anxiety or depression right now. I can tell. If you have that awareness, you are starting out like 50 miles in front of me when I started out because I railed against that for years. So if that's the case, I would say your next step, that's probably not the first step, your next step would be to try to identify areas of your life in which you would experience improvements and progress if you solved those problems. Because I what I found is even if I could identify that I was feeling pain, it wasn't enough to actually motivate me to do something about it. I actually had to envision what my life would look like without that pain. And once I had a mental picture of that, like, whoa, I could be so much more productive. Like I could write much better music, I could maintain much healthier interpersonal relationships. And you build this picture of your life. It's just your life right now, but a version of your life in which you have a healthier brain. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I have a true north. How do I get there?
0: It's sort of like manifestation where you're manifesting sort of what you're going to see in your future which is something i've talked about on the show and i believe in and i think this sort of parallels perfectly with today and COVID happening right a lot of people are cooped up inside their homes they're not going out they're not having the social interaction and that's deteriorating their mental health um it's putting a huge huge weight On those people that were struggling beforehand. And I can even only imagine what they're struggling now. So how have you seen in your eyes, COVID have an impact on mental health and raising awareness of mental health?
1: I think that COVID is maybe the one millionth straw on the camel's back when it comes to mental health. Like we, you know, the story that I just told of me, ignoring my mental health and denying it for so long. That's what culture has been doing for decades. Like employers are like, no, my employees are bulletproof and they don't need mental health support. And schools are like, oh, they're just kids. They don't really need that support. And I think we are approaching critical mass with the topic of mental health, where culturally we are going to have to come to terms with it because I think this year we lost the luxury of getting to say, I'll worry about it next year. Like this year brought it to the front of people's... (sighs) Here's what drives me nuts that I think COVID might be killing. What drives me nuts is that people think that if they send a tweet with hashtag mental health, that they're a superhero and that they did it and that it's over, that the fight against mental health stigma is over, but they don't actually make changes in their life And then it falls flat. And then the next year, come Mental Health Awareness Month, maybe they'll share a post from somebody and that's it. What COVID is changing is people are realizing that that's not enough. They're like, oh, crap. All of my coping mechanisms have been removed, like church, basketball, going to concerts. All the things that I used to do to feel sane have been stripped from my life. What do I do to stay sane that won't destroy me, like drugs or alcohol or any sort of destructive habits we have to turn to something. And I think COVID has made it so that we can't ignore mental health anymore, no matter how hard we try.
0: Yeah, that's a great point you bring up, because um, those sort of coping mechanisms that once were, are probably no longer available in this world. And you see a lot of people turning to substances to abuse them to try and take them out of that state of mind. And they have to understand that, there's other ways to go about it, even in this crazy world of COVID, and they just have to explore those other options. And I think with that, if you see that someone is struggling with their mental health, right, whether that be a family member, a friend, a coworker, What would be first off, let's talk about what would be some signs that like you notice someone's off, right? And with their mental health, but what would some signs be to you to say, okay, I need to try and talk to this person obviously in a way that um, isn't uncomfortable? And I think that's a big problem, even for me in my personal life. Like if I see someone is struggling with something and that they do need help or they do need someone to talk to, I don't really know how to approach that situation. So What would you say is sort of like some signs that you need to approach it? And then also to follow that up, how do you actually approach that kind of situation from an outside perspective?
1: So let me see. Uh, As far as signs, something that I've seen a lot in my own friend groups and something that I've done in the past is joke and be very flippant around like self-harm and suicide and depression. Like, Think of—I bet everyone listening right now can think of a couple friends who share really depressing memes on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and it's like some part of them must be relating to that if they're putting it out on their newsfeed. Like there's so many memes that are rooted in depression and anxiety, and they're like they'll share a picture of SpongeBob, and it's like me when my anxiety wakes me up at 3 a.m., and it's like there's some part of that that is resonating with your friend even if they think it's funny like there was uh, a person in the music scene that actually passed away died by suicide maybe a year or two ago and after i found out that they passed away i went to their facebook and it was littered with memes like that like oh oh like one one day i can't wait to leave this planet and it's like a picture of a frog leaping off of something like it's it was all presented as jokes but If you see someone using their social media that way, or even in person, they make offhand comments about how they don't wanna live in this planet anymore, or, you know, being so stressed that their nose is bleeding or whatever. Any types of even jokes like that are worth addressing with your friend. And then the easiest way I would say to do it is, as far as bringing it up, you just have to bring it up. So many people, you were like, I don't know how to do that without being uncomfortable. I don't know how to work out without being uncomfortable. It hurts. That's true. It hurts That's true. every time I work out. I don't know how to take a splinter out of my finger without it being uncomfortable. Or when I broke my nose, my doctor made me really uncomfortable when he snapped it back into place. Like, there's no way around it.
0: You just got to do it. Yeah. Just got to do it. That's great advice because I think a lot of people actually need that. Um, because they think, oh, I need to approach it in a way where it has to be done this way or it has to be done that way. And if it's not done this way, then it's not the correct way to do it. And you're actually having a reverse effect on it. Uh, I think those are all things that there are stigmas about when approaching someone that has mental health problems. But listen to Johnny. He's an expert in this field. He knows what he's talking about. He's firsthand gone through this. And he's saying that you just need to approach it. Just approach it. Make that first leap. Don't be scared. or You can be scared, actually, but still do it because you're going to help someone else uh, in the long run. And for the past few shows I've talked about in the outro of the show, do something to help yourself while helping others. And I think this is a big thing you can do to help yourself because you're helping others along with it.
1: I also want to clarify, I'm not saying that there's not a tactful way to do it. What I am saying is some people spend, you know, Three years trying to figure out the tactful way to approach their friend and then not to be morbid, but that friend isn't around anymore. And it's because someone waited three years trying to figure out the right way to say it. Like, there is no real fun, comfortable way to say it. Like, there's a tactful way to bring it up. But don't wait so long that you miss your chance to be there for your friend.
0: No, you're absolutely right, and I didn't want to make it seem like I'm saying just come at them and be like, no, this, this, this is wrong, and yeah. you need this, this. Just approach it in a friendly manner, just like any other friendly conversation that you're having with someone, and say like, you know. I, but I think it goes to, and maybe you would disagree with this, but I think it goes to show that like, could you be a random like where you're not really close with that person and still bring it up to them, or would you have to be someone close in their life to bring it up? It to is them?
1: literally easier or at least in my experience it is easier for someone who doesn't know someone as well to have that impact because they don't feel like as much of a burden like for example if my mom like my mom would try to talk to me about uh suicide and I would freeze up and didn't want to hear from her and I would close down and like not talk to her but if like some kid at a show wanted to talk about it I'd be like oh yeah I'll open up because I don't feel like a burden to that person because I don't know them personally. So
0: That makes sense, actually.
1: I'm not saying that if you're close to someone, don't bring it up. I'm saying don't think that because you're not close to someone that you can't have a positive impact.
0: That's great information. Thank you for saying that. That's really great. And what advice would you have for someone that wants to focus on their own self care for themselves whether they already are in a positive place in terms of their mental health or maybe they're in a negative place what are some things or routines that you have to offer besides obviously signing up for cope notes to chain your brain to receive these positive messages is there any other advice you would offer to someone that wants to focus on their own self-care
1: i would say that you need consistency It's not something that you can say, oh, quality over quantity with my self-care. Quantity matters too. You can't just do, oh yeah, once a month I uh, get a massage. And it's like, that's great. But that's one hour out of, I'm not gonna do the math, but a thousand hours or something. I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of hours. It would be better for you to do one small thing every day or five small things every day because- Consistency is what shows your brain that something is acceptable and normal. So if you only do one nice thing for yourself once a month, your brain might resist part of it. Ugh, I don't deserve this or I should be working right now. But if you do all of these tiny little self-care things for yourself throughout the day, it starts to feel like, yeah, I should prioritize this because I do it so often. So I don't think you need to do one huge thing once a year, once a month. I think you, if you have to choose, you're better off doing five small things a day or 30 seconds a day or whatever it is, as long as you can maintain that consistency. No days off with self-care.
0: I like that. I like that. No days off. That's a good one. That's a good one to put in your quote books. (laughs) No days off for self-care. I really do like that. And now I want to talk about vocalizing your feelings, or maybe writing down your feelings as a person that has a lot of stress in their life. I know that it always helps me to talk about my feelings to talk about what's going on, even if it's nothing too deep, it just helps me to sort of put it out. uh, Like, you know, not really in a flow chart, because I'm speaking it out, but just make sense of what's actually going on. So how important would you say it is that someone is talking to someone about their feelings?
1: This might be a controversial opinion. I do not think that another person being there is the defining characteristic of whether or not something is helping you. Like, I've written tons of songs by myself that have helped me grow in so many ways that, you know, no one was with me when I wrote that. It was me in a blank Word document. It was me in a note in my phone. And I learned so much and grew so much from that. So don't think that, you can only grow if you have someone else because then you're fostering dependency, which is really dangerous. that's true. You can heal by yourself to an extent. You need community to be a productive member of society. I am certain of it. You have to be in a relationship with other people, but that does not mean that you have to wait for someone else to participate before you can start the process. You making a voice note on your phone or talking to yourself on your drive home, or opening up a note in your phone and just starting to draft out some bullet points of what you're thinking about, I guarantee you, you will learn and grow from that. If you want to start with a person, you can, but you do not need to.
0: Got it, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I don't, I wouldn't even call it contradicting, right? You're the expert on this. I'm making questions, Um, you know, thank God and knock on wood that I haven't experienced anything in terms of negative mental health in my life. I just have it and I'm very grateful and thankful for that because I know it is a huge thing in today's world and I recognize how grateful I need to be and how blessed I am that I haven't. So I'm asking these questions and you can take it any way you want, right? There's no contradicting. I completely agree with what you're saying too. And this transitions perfectly into the next question I have for you about confidence because confidence is, I don't believe something that someone else can help you build for yourself. You have to be confident in yourself. And even in times where Let's put it in relation with the podcast. There could be someone that I have on that maybe I'm a little bit nervous to interview them, right? Maybe they're a big name, maybe they work for a big company and I'm just a little bit nervous because of all the atmosphere of the recording and it needs to be perfect, et cetera, et cetera. But something that always helps me and my mental health is my confidence and knowing that it's okay if I mess up because I'm confident that I'm gonna correct it either way. So what do you have to say about confidence in relation to mental health?
1: So a big manifestation of anxiety in my life has been self-criticism. So you got to think a lot of my uh, body dysmorphia and eating disorders came from that. A lot of my self-harm came from that. A lot of like me beating myself up after making a mistake. I mean, this is really toxic behavior. There's actually an early Cope Notes text that said something like beating yourself up for making a mistake is kind of like dunking on your own teammate." Like, you would never, ever score on yourself. You'd never, like, shove your teammate out of the way and dunk on him and be like, yo, take that. But that's what you're doing when you're beating yourself up. You are turning on the only person who's always going to be on your team, which is yourself. And I've struggled with confidence a ton. And any public speaker, any vocalist, any leader, any CEO or founder, whether they tell you or not, experiences doubt constantly. It is scary. The only way you cannot experience doubt and be fully confident is if you never try to do anything ever. You never accomplish anything. You never push yourself. You never try. That is the only way you can be confident 24-7. What I have found is every time I try to achieve something ridiculous and I don't win it, like think about it. I run a company. We do presentations all the time. We have maybe 80 partners. I've pitched more than a thousand. So I'm batting like a 0.0, you know, I'm at 8% success rate, which means 92% of people are crapping on me and saying, no, this isn't interesting or let's talk next year. The confidence doesn't come from other people saying yes. The confidence comes from trying something, failing and realizing that it didn't ruin your life. And over time you start to realize, oh, the people that I'm meeting with they fail every day, too. Everyone's constantly failing. Beyonce has pimples. Think about it. Yeah. Nobody is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. And when you start to see that playing field level out, you start to think of any of your mistakes within the frame of, oh, that's just a mistake that was public. Think of all the mistakes that the people who are judging me have made in private. And that's not judging them that's realizing that there's not a status difference between you two, CEO to janitor.
0: Absolutely, and it's two things I wanna take out of what you brought up. First thing is failure. Failure is something I always talk about on the show. I always say that, and I truly believe in order to succeed, you must fail, probably more than one time. If you just failed once, then, I mean, you are the luckiest person because failure is how you learn what you did wrong, And what's going to make you a better person? And the second thing I wanted to take out of what you said is the fact of realizing that the worst thing that can happen the majority of the time, whether you are pitching something, whether you're emailing someone, texting someone for an opportunity for yourself, the very worst thing that can happen is they say no. And you wasted a little bit of your time with it. But then you're going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And one of those companies are eventually going to say yes. And the worst thing, I think a lot of people get scared. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, what are they going to think? Who cares what they think? The worst thing they can say is no. Like, nothing's going to happen to you. Right? Like, and I think that's what I wanted to take out of that. Because those are two things I always touch on on the show, which you sort of said in a different light. So thank you for bringing those up. Think
1: about rejection. Tech nine, rejected. Eminem rejected, Linkin Park rejected, like all of these huge cultural icons that have accomplished so much. We look at them and we're like, wow, that's a success story. And it's like, <laughs> in many ways, that's a story of repeated failure. And if someone would say no to Tech Nine, it's okay if they say no to you too. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And there's a million, you hear a million stories of people like, oh, I went to this person with this idea and they said no, or I did this and they said no. I'll go on a little side note here, whatever, we'll go a little over time. It's worth it because this conversation is important. I was at a dinner in Israel with the person who created the Iron Dome. If you're familiar with what the Iron Dome in in Israel, it's basically the system that counters the rockets that are coming in from surrounding countries that are going into Israel. So the computer system, if it sees a rocket coming in, it's going to send another rocket up and basically make that rocket not land anywhere in Israel. Whoa. Yeah, so it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And I had dinner with this guy. And what he's saying, what he literally said is, I went to the Israeli government and I said, hey, I have this thing I want to build. It's going to help us tremendously. And they said no. They said no at first. He's like, okay, pretty much screw them. I'm going to go and get outside funding for it. And I'm going to show them that this is a real viable option to protect our country. And now, I mean, Iron Dome is one of the biggest defense mechanisms that Israel has, and it protects all its people. And this guy's literally sitting at dinner telling me that they said no at first. And now if you're in Israel, you feel blessed that you have the Iron Dome there to protect you and you feel a little bit safer. So it was just a cool experience of someone saying no that I wanted to bring up because this guy, he's like, oh, I was just at meetings with diplomats and this and that. And I'm like thinking to myself. Someone just told you no, and now you're just pretty much shitting on them in another aspect, showing you, like, look, look what I accomplished now. So it's just.
1: I have to say this, though. Never go back to someone who said no to you and rub it in. Never, ever. I agree with that. Ever, ever. You give those people an opportunity to tuck their tail between their legs and come in and show you respect because you know how it feels to be wrong. Everyone's been wrong. So don't you dare lord your victory over someone else who didn't see it while you did. Don't do it. That's fair. It's bad business.
0: That's fair. That's fair. And I and I don't know if he like sort of said to them, like, look what it is now, right? But I mean, it really was like, holy crap. Like, look at what he's accomplished now when they said no. And I'm sure that whoever said no is still kicking themselves about it in the initial aspect of it but that's what life is you you win and you lose that's
1: why you don't even need to say it to somebody you can parade around in your head like we've had labels say no to my band and then send us an email four years later and say hey do you want to maybe have another conversation and do you seriously think that we email them back like screw you we're like yeah Yeah, let's talk. Let's hear what you have to say. And you will never need to rub your victory in to someone who didn't believe in you because there's part of them, the courage it takes for them to reach back out to you is admirable,
0: truly. A hundred percent. And I agree with that fully where if someone... It's saying like, oh, that that might not work or, oh, that's not going to work. You work as hard as you can to show them that it is going to work without telling them, right? You want them to see it on TV. You want them to hear it on the radio, hear it on a podcast. You want them to be like, oh, wow, this actually did work. And you didn't even have to say one thing to them. They saw it for themselves. That's something I I believe in as well, 100%. And this is sort of a two-part question I have for you now, but it's talking about trust, Right. And I think a lot of times if someone comes to you, right, uh, let's just use me as an example. This is not no truth. This is a hypothetical situation. But someone comes to me and they say, hey, Maverick, you know, I'm having a lot of problems with my mental health, whether, you know, they've been thinking about suicide and that's ran through their head a little bit. But they're like, please don't tell anyone like, I'm trusting you not to tell anyone, and I just wanted to tell you because I wanted to let you know, right? If you're that person, if you're me, how are you going to handle that situation? Are you really not going to tell anyone? Are you going to try and tell someone else that could help them even more? Or how would you say to handle that situation?
1: So there is no great path forward in a situation like that. So I want you to remove from your mind the the win-win-win situation where everybody's happy someone's going to be frustrated, and it better be your alive friend who's frustrated. So I have spoken with people who were in that exact position, who encourage them in the conversation like, yo, you know, is this something that you're genuinely consider— like, is suicide a genuine option that you're considering? And if the friend says yes, they say, Have you tried any crisis resources? Have you checked into, you know, would you consider using the crisis center, the crisis text line? And if they're like, no, 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 no. And there's nothing you can say to stop me. I know people who in that situation have called 911 and had the police come get this person and take them to a facility. And those people are still alive today. And even picture this, if your friend never spoke to you again because he was so upset, That you told somebody, but he's alive and his kids have a father and his wife has a husband, it's worth it. Like you have to put yourself second in that scenario and understand that even if someone's going to be mad at you, it will be worth them still being alive tomorrow.
0: That's 100% truth. I don't want to speak on experiences I've had with that, but I fully agree with that. You need to get them that help. And that's sort of what I want to say is the other, how I said it was a two-sided question, is if you are that person that said, please don't tell anyone, and that person went and told someone. And now, you know, 10 years, 20 years later down the road, you realize that that person maybe saved your life. I guess it's not really a question, but would you say that there is probably some light at the end of the tunnel for the person that did go and get that help? in terms of trust, like maybe they'll regain that trust back with that person or it's all dependent on the situation. Dude,
1: it's one of those things where it doesn't need to be told. Like if you have literally saved someone's life, you are a literal hero, even if a bridge is burned forever, even if you never hear back from that person any sort of praise report, you know that they know that you love them. And that is the only thing that will carry beyond, even if a bridge is burned, you know in the back of your head, like, I know that this person still loves me and I still love them. And that's enough. like, bro, I have family members who passed away. I can't talk to them, but I know that I love them and I know that they love me. And that's really powerful, even if we can't talk.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great advice. That's great advice. I mean, really what you're saying is very important because as you know, this is podcast is what the shit that's not taught in school that's what this is about right we're talking about what's not in school and this is a major aspect of life in almost every situation and why the hell is it not talked about in school obviously there's school counselors and like you said oh they're just kids and all they don't know they don't know this they don't know that but it blows my mind okay yeah taxes credit mortgages all that stuff 100% hundred percent I do believe that that should be taught in school as well but this is not that this is your life this is your life this is what keeps you alive this is what keeps you happy enjoying life every day and why is it not taught in school uh, and something you and I gotta work on we gotta we gotta come up with some things to maybe implement these uh conversations in a school platform for sure so the only reason
1: I want to get rich like rich 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 crazy rich is to deploy millions of dollars towards a complete redesign of the public school system like we need to teach financial literacy we need to teach mental and emotional health we need like if i have to earn a hundred billion dollars in my lifetime to pump it into the school system to pay for them to rethink what is taught to next generation's youth it will be worth every moment of work that it takes to do it
0: i agree with that 100 let's do it together yes we sir. gotta do it together Let's do it. Now, before we totally switch topics into you being an entrepreneur, I just want to, you know, go back and sort of touch on things that we talked about and see if there's anything else you think that whether it's about abuse, whether it's about mental health, working on your mental health, being a person to talk to, is there anything you think we missed in our conversation that is very, very essential that people absolutely need to know before we transition?
1: I just want to say two things. First is if you see something, say something. So I'm talking about if you're aware of abuse happening in a relationship, if you are aware of a friend who's self-harming or experiencing disordered eating or anything like that, you have to bring it up. You have to. There is no other option. You have to talk to them. And the second thing I want to say is you will never regret investing in your health ever. You will never make an investment into your mental, emotional health that you'll think, ugh you know what? That hour that I spent investing in my health and well-being in my mind, the only thing that I really carry with me for my whole life, I really could have spent that time and money and energy playing NFL Blitz. No. Like, take care of yourself. You will never regret investing in
0: yourself. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And I'm sure Johnny would be a open to giving you his email or some contact info where if you are struggling um, and need some help, you can reach out to him. So do you want to give some info, contact info, so the listeners could possibly reach out to you if need be? I
1: will do all of the listeners one better. I cannot help you the way that actual trained crisis counselors can. So if you are in crisis, I encourage you to text HOME to 741741 if you live in the U.S., and that's a crisis text line. You can also call 211 to reach a crisis center. If you are not in crisis and you want daily support, please go to copenotes.com and sign up there. I created Cope Notes because I don't have the ability to help everybody. I might miss a call. I might miss a text. I miss so many emails and DMs on social media because I'm a person. I drive and I poop and I hang out with my dog. Like... I'm not always available. So I encourage you to use tools that are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to talk after the show about seeing how we can evolve my businesses, our businesses together and see how we can have employees use Cope Notes because I think that would be a great benefit. Heck yeah. So now let's talk about you being an entrepreneur because I know obviously firsthand owning a business can be very stressful at times and take for me, for instance, I'm a student at michigan state university i'm a senior i'm also studying for law school i do the podcast and i also do a few other things whether it's involved in my family's business levy and associates or starting some new businesses that hopefully will launch in the future i'm a very busy man and something i struggle with is balancing my time balancing my time with enjoyment. So how do you balance your time as being an entrepreneur and a mental health advocate? What would you say about time balance? You
1: are asking maybe one of the worst people at this particular juggling act, but I will say <laughs> that I'm, I'm consciously focusing on improving in that area. So a few things that have helped me. So just people who don't know me might not know this. I am extremely project oriented. So My whole life is prison and Cope Notes, so my band and my company. And anything I do in the middle, like interviews or if I speak at a webinar or on a panel or if I I present at a conference or something, it always has to do with public advocacy. That's what it comes down to. The problem there is that when I'm in bed, I'm thinking about work. When I'm brushing my teeth, I'm thinking about work. Like I can't stop. So a few things have helped me. Number one, I have put my phone on Do Not Disturb 24-7. I guarantee you I will miss your call. I guarantee you I will miss your text message. That is on purpose because I need to focus on what I am doing at the time. And if I am at lunch with my mom, I better not look at my phone. So I purposely try to eliminate things that will pull me back into work mode. And I will also take my phone and put it... Uh, I have like a shoulder bag... And I keep my phone in my shoulder bag so that I can't even reach to it to check the time or anything like that. I will ask a waiter, do you have the time? Because I refuse to check my phone. So part of it is like segmenting your phone away from things. And I'm not good at it.
0: Neither am I. And it seems like um, I just read a book for one of my classes. I completely forget the name. So sorry to the author, whoever wrote the book. But she talks about how in order to be in your creative mindset to sort of ignite your creative thinking and activities you do put away all distractions pick distractions could be your phone could be something else could be a little toy on your desk right doesn't matter what it is put those distractions away so you can unleash that creativeness in your head and i think that goes exactly to what you're saying so it's kind of crazy that i didn't To all the listeners, I didn't want to read this book. Do I like reading? Yes, but I didn't want to read this book. This is something I had to read and it goes very well hand in hand with what you're saying is putting away these distractions to focus on what's important, to focus on what's right in front of you and to focus on what's going to help you succeed in life.
1: Yeah, I only have one other thing on this topic. I also wanted to say I've been having to front load my break. So I will like get stuck in like a work loop like wormhole vortex where like time just passes and I'm super dug into my project. And I tried to stop working at 5 p.m. earlier this year and it was a miserable fail. I mean, freaking blew it. Full on just missed the 5 p.m. deadline every single day. I was working till 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And I realized if I can't stop working earlier, then maybe I should start working later. So there was a period earlier this year where I would start work at 10 a.m. And I would not allow myself to do any work before then. And in the morning, I would watch, I love like supercars. So I would watch like supercar reviews and walkthroughs and drag races and stuff. And it completely distracted me from all things work and just allowed me to be fully present, dreaming about sitting in these supercars and driving them. And that way I can guarantee that I have an hour of leisure on those days. Cause if you put it off to the end of the day, you'll you won't do it.
0: Yeah. And maybe a part of those distraction watching those videos, we'll shout out the Moda groups on Facebook. That's how we met. Yep. Uh those things you could be on those for hours, whether it's the car one, whether it's the miss group, whatever it may be. So absolutely. And I you know, I agree with you going back to what you said about balancing your time. Where if you are doing something like brushing your teeth, taking a shit in the shower, I think I'll be hundred <laughs> percent honest and upfront. <laughs> I'll creative. be one hundred percent upfront. I think of my best ideas when I'm in the bathroom, uh, whether that is I'm going to the bathroom or I'm in the shower. But I think of my best ideas in there. Um, I think I've thought of the name for companies. I thought of content to have on the podcast. I thought of better ways to organize things. It's so weird, but I think it goes to say where like, you can't turn off your brain in that aspect. There's no like way to like shut everything off and be like, okay, the only time when I'm ever able to do that is like 10 minutes before bed where I can fall asleep in like two seconds. So, um, but like those 10 minutes before bed where I'm watching Netflix, uh, or watching a TV show, I can actually like zone out but then 10 minutes, like I said, I fall asleep so quick where like after 10 minutes, I'm like done and I'm asleep already. But absolutely, you have to find what's gonna work with your schedule, what's gonna work with your brain to eliminate the distractions and balance your time. But Johnny, what's your favorite part about being an entrepreneur?
1: Probably, so it's really hard. That's why I'm having trouble answering this. It's it's way harder than anybody told me. I think probably my, I have two favorites. So the first is, You are afforded a freedom of schedule. However, you very rarely are able to take advantage of it because of how much work there is to do. But like, you know, let's say you have a family member coming into town and the only time they can see you is 1030 a.m. on a Wednesday, two months from now. You can put that in your calendar and no one can book you for that time. So you can sort of reprioritize and take advantage of the fact that you're in charge of your calendar. Although a lot of times there's so much work that you can't really take full advantage of that. But the real, my real favorite thing is the fact that I have had to learn so much crap that I did not want to learn otherwise. But running your own business forced me to learn. Like I had no other option but to learn these things. And it's been like, 12 years of school in two and a half years. So my brain is like bulging with all of this crap that I never wanted to put into it. And I know I'm better off for it. So if, you, if you're just a copywriter, you just have to learn copy. You just have to be really good at writing. But if you were in a company, you have to learn coding and security and privacy and legal stuff. And all of a sudden, you have a much better rounded skill set than you ever would have had you worked for somebody.
0: Yeah. And I think going along those lines when I don't know why it is, but this definitely happened with me where when I was younger, I thought I knew it all. (laughs) I thought I knew everything about anything and no one could tell me, oh, you didn't know about this or you don't know. I'd be like, yeah, I do. What do you mean? Uh, I read uh, two paragraph section of that article online. I know all about it. And now my whole mindset has been for probably the last three to four years is i always want to be learning people use like a term abc always be closing i like to say abl always be learning because you need to always be learning in order to become a better person you can never think that you know it all and if you do think you know it all then i'll tell you right now you don't know it all so you need to acknowledge and accept the fact that you don't know it all and you need to always be learning but What would you say to someone who wants to build their business from the ground up? What advice would you have for them as someone who's done it themselves?
1: Oh, that list is a mile long. I'm gonna try to whittle it down. First things first, make sure you wanna do it. Most, and that sounds so boom boom, but bro, I think so many people don't actually ask themselves like, am I willing to hear people say no to me every day for for a thousand days in a row? Before someone says yes, am I willing to let this? Is what I'm doing important enough for me to compromise my financial wellness, my mental and emotional health, my relationships, my living situation, all of my other hopes and dreams? Like, I'm a big fan of taking calculated risks. I'm very risk averse. So I don't take, you know, I think if you have a couple of drinks and you drive home, that's an uncalculated risk. If you eat sushi from a gas station, that's an uncalculated risk. I don't take those all these tiny little risks we take on a daily basis. I take one huge calculated risk like every five years. And I am a huge fan of that approach. But with that being said, you have to ask yourself, three years from now, if I fail, will I still be happy that I gambled everything I have on this idea? And if, it's, if the answer is no, then your idea for a business is not important enough to pursue. Not that it's not valuable, but that you should reconsider whether it should be a business. Second thing related to this get help and opinions from people before you do anything. Don't name it, don't come up with all of the business plan yet you need to write down your your napkin idea, your bar napkin scribbled idea. Yeah. Before you start giving structure to it, talk to a hundred different people and get their opinions and weigh them, organize them before you draft anything. And then when you draft something, join a business incubator, most of which are free, or utilize free entrepreneurial resources in your community. Pretty much every municipality has some sort of, local free entrepreneurship mentoring or classes. You need to learn that stuff before you start because here I am two and a half years in having to learn this stuff as I go. It would have been way easier to learn before I actually had employees and paying customers to take care of.
0: Absolutely. And a lot of those topics, that's why I started this podcast. right? I want it to be a resource for those who want to start their own business or if they want to be an employee. Whatever it may be, I want them to have this resource to learn these things beforehand so they're not lost. Or at least they can build on the knowledge that they've learned, the complexities. I sort of lay down, I always say, like this foundational base of knowledge that you can take with you and do many different things with. That's the goal of this podcast, 100%. And with all that being said, what would you say to someone? who is an entrepreneur, but they're struggling to stay committed and to stay motivated to continue doing what they're doing for whatever the reason may be. What would you say to them?
1: It is literally as hard as it is for you. That's how hard it is for everybody else. All the people who say, you know, overnight, they didn't have to do anything. It just was flip of a switch. They're either lying or they are unicorns. There's no in between. This is, is hard. It's not because you're stupid. It's not because you're not applying yourself. It's not because you're not talented or your idea is dumb. It's because this is hard. So either consider a pivot to make things easier, either refocus who you're targeting as a customer or maybe rework your idea to be a better fit for the market. Or if you've already tried those things or you don't think either one will work, you have to understand that these things take way longer than they should i don't like the fact that that's the case but don't start beating yourself up and thinking that it's because you're inadequate as a leader it's in 99 of the cases that's not true the fact is it just takes a while
0: yeah that's great advice well johnny let's wrap up this interview with one final question and this is a question i ask all my guests at the end of an interview. And you can feel free to answer it and take it in whichever direction that you feel is best. But Johnny, what do you wish you knew in your early 20s?
1: I wish I knew that things would get better. I would have bet, I did bet my life in a suicide attempt that things would never get better. And I'm wrong. I was wrong. I, my life is so much better now than I could have ever imagined. I'm so much healthier I'm so much happier, and I never knew that things would change and get better. So I, I, if I could go back in time and tell myself anything, it wouldn't be like, here's this nugget of wisdom, or make sure you remember to floss, although maybe I would say that. But ultimately, <laughs> I would need to say, whether you believe it right now or not, whether you can picture it in your mind or not, things will be better eventually. They will change.
0: That's awesome advice. Thank you for that. And well, that's it for this interview, Johnny. I'm serious. I say it to every guest. Uh, you know, thanks so much for coming on the show. But from the bottom of my heart, not only your story, but your whole outlook on life, how you've transitioned into the person you are today, it's so touching. And I hope that we inspired at least one person with what we're talking about today and that one person can take something away from this and many people should take something away from this because there's so much content and info. This interview is a little longer than any of my other ones have been. But I told you that from the beginning, it might be that way because the topic is so dense and there's so many things that actually are so important in terms of your mental health, in terms of being an entrepreneur in relation to your mental health, all those things. So thanks again, Johnny. We'll have to stay in touch for sure. And it was nice talking to you and having this conversation with you. Absolutely, you too, brother. Well, the best of the best fans. I want you all to know that success comes in many different forms. It's not just having the coolest car, the nicest house, the dopest clothes, the coolest watch, the coolest shoes, whatever it may be. In my opinion, it's about who is the happiest every day, who actually enjoys life. So if you're measuring success in terms of money, in terms of materialistic things, please start to measure it with the state of your emotions. And I'll even say your mental, your physical health, all those things, because that's how you should measure your success. Right. I talk about success a lot of times in terms of money but that can only happen if you're happy with your emotions if you're in a good state with your mental health and i think your physical health has you know not a ton to do with it but definitely it's an aspect of it especially in my life so put that materialistic stuff aside wake up every day with a smile on your face feeling blessed and if you aren't enjoying life every day ask yourself why and what you can do about it and then make a plan of action and go through with it Please be safe, be healthy, and always lead by example. Don't forget to subscribe and spread the word about the show to your family and friends. That's how the show gets bigger and how it gets better. I'll say that forever, but that's it for today, everyone. Thank you for listening to this tremendous, amazing, over-the-top episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success.